This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. This is part one of a three-part episode that I did with Rachel, who is a surrogate who has delivered no less than five babies for their intended parents. Rachel has been an egg donor and a traditional and gestational surrogate. Her story is pretty epic. In episode one, we hear all about her start as an egg donor and then her first three journeys as a surrogate. I'm going to hand over now to Rachel. Hi, my name is Rachel Cundy. Um, I'm from Queensland. Um, I'm a mum to three daughters. Uh, they're aged from 10 to 19 years. Um, husband, I have a husband called Simon and um, I'm a midwife. Um, I've also been an egg donor and a surrogate, um, traditional surrogate and a gestational surrogate. Um, my journey sort of towards surrogacy started in 2004 after I'd had my second daughter and I decided that I wanted to donate my eggs. Um, at the time, there was no such thing as online forums to find out information about this stuff. Bub Hub was relatively new and Essential Baby was, was quite new as well. Um, so there wasn't really anywhere to find out information about going about an egg donation and I did as much googling as I could on egg donation but it was all very much based in America um, but I happened to stumble on a link um, on on Bubhub that linked me to a group um, called Aussie Egg Donors which was a Yahoo based group but that's telling how old it is a Yahoo based group where you used to get um, all the messages through your emails so of course so once i joined this group my email inbox was always filled with 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 um questions and stories from this group um and i joined this group and decided i wanted to donate my eggs uh during the sort of process of looking for a recipient during my first egg donation we decided to move the group onto a forum. So basically just a web page which where all the information was available there. It wasn't constantly clogging up your inbox. And when we moved to the forum, I was asked to be administrator on, on, on there. So that's sort of how I got into the whole community as in administration and, and advocacy and whatnot. Um, I ended up donating my eggs three times. Um, between 2004 and 2006 to three couples. Uh, the first couple that I donated my eggs to, she had gone through menopause. They had had two children, one of them which had passed away when he, when he was a month old from an extremely rare genetic condition. Um, and uh, so she, she was have, not having any trouble getting pregnant, but she was having trouble keeping the pregnancies and it was because of her egg quality because she was so close to menopause. So that was the first couple that I donated my eggs to and they actually ended up being the first couple I was a surrogate for as well. Um, after my third egg donation, I ended up having my third daughter in 2007. So it's all a bit of a process. And in that time, we had heard that surrogacy was looking at being decriminalized in Queensland because at the time it was illegal to be a surrogate mother in any a surrogate mother or intended parent um, in Queensland um, and I had finished donating my eggs and I was starting to wonder sort of what was next for me and someone just said out of the blue one day you know Rachel you'd make a pretty good surrogate 
So I started looking into it. It was illegal. I knew it was illegal. Um, but I heard that there was going to be a committee formed to talk about decriminalising surrogacy in Queensland. So I entered a submission onto the committee, um, to the committee, and then was asked to talk in at the parliamentary hearing. Um, uh, so I attended the two-day hearing, and from that, talking to the members that were on the on the committee, um, they were all overwhelmingly in support of decriminalising surrogacy. Um, so that kind of rallied me a little bit. Um, and what was really good was that they had said that when the law passed, it would be two years retrospective. So I essentially was given a green light then and there to start pursuing surrogacy because if I pursued surrogacy in that time and then the law passed after the baby was born, I was covered under under the retrospective law. So, so I started bringing it up to my husband and he... Was, has always been very agreeable. <laughs> um, I don't think he quite knew at that point what he was getting into for the next 10 or so years. But, um, uh, yeah, so sort of started researching it. I ended up finding a woman in Melbourne, a single woman who um, didn't have a uterus, uh, looked at being her traditional surrogate using home insemination. I was very much open to the idea of traditional surrogacy because I'd donated my eggs, I'd had that separation before, um, I, it didn't bother me whether it was going to be my egg or, 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 a, or somebody else's egg, but I thought the traditional surrogacy just appealed to me because it didn't involve IVF clinics and, and that sort of thing. Um, unfortunately, that surrogacy didn't work out, and in that sort of process, I met another couple from Perth in Western Australia, um, and they had just unexplained infertility. They had been trying for about seven years and hadn't managed to get pregnant. Um, so, again, doing traditional surrogacy there, which was a bit of a nightmare to coordinate as well. They were, you know, you're working around your cycle. Um, so coordinating flights and whatnot was always a bit of a hassle. But we did, we tried for eight months and we finally got pregnant. Um, doing home inseminations and when I was eight weeks pregnant, they surprised us by telling us that they too were pregnant at the same time, mm. unexpectedly. Um, and I guess at that point I felt a little bit lost. I had committed to doing this for a couple that I thought couldn't have a baby, but it turns out that they were actively still trying to get pregnant themselves. And that was a little bit upsetting to me. And all of a sudden, all the plans that we had had for the surrogacy kind of went out the window because she took precedence. Like her, you know, she was all of a sudden pregnant, first pregnancy ever. They were worried, obviously, as most people are worried about miscarriage and whatnot. So um, they essentially were treating her like she was glass and couldn't, get, couldn't fly because she was pregnant, they're worried about radiation, um, you know, and if I was going to have the baby, essentially I was going to be doing it all on my own here in Queensland while they were in Perth and they would just come over when the baby was born. So I, I kind of felt like I was pushed aside and, and the, the dynamics of the relationship had changed dramatically and um, I had had bleeding from the moment I had found out I was pregnant. Um, and had a couple of early scans that were all okay. But at 11 weeks, the bleeding kind of increased and I 
um, had an ultrasound and it had showed that the baby had stopped growing. Um, and, but it was still in utero. Um, so I ended up having to have a DNC. And, but their pregnancy progressed, which I was extremely happy that, you know, that they actually got to carry their own baby, baby and they now have two children. But I was, it was a little bit bittersweet as well because I kind of felt like essentially I was just a uterus to them. It could be just because of the way things changed so rapidly when they found out they were pregnant. I would have been over the moon if, one, they hadn't lied to me and told me that they hadn't given up on conceiving themselves. And two, that, it, it you know, I wasn't just all of a sudden an afterthought, you know, a, a, someone that was carrying our child on the other side of Australia. Um, so that, that left me a little bit hurt and I was in a bad place for a little while. Um, but um, about four months after that, after I had had the miscarriage, the first couple that I donated my eggs to um, had mentioned that they had actually attempted to get pregnant again and they did get pregnant, but then she um, had a miscarriage and was strongly recommended by her obstetrician for her not to carry another pregnancy because she had developed a, quite a serious heart condition um, during her pregnancy with her egg donor baby. Um, so I, you know, we, we already had this such an amazing established relationship and I knew that they desperately wanted a third child to complete their family. Um, and we had embryos in storage. So they were, they were my egg and his sperm, so I would still be a traditional surrogate, but at least those embryos were there and we could actually use them. Um, so the law hadn't yet passed in Queensland, but we got around it. I won't say how, but we did get around it. Um, and we were able to transfer one of the embryos from my egg donation um, and we got pregnant first time, which was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, and the pregnancy went by like a dream. The birth was amazing. Um, I ended up having my first cesarean and got my tubes tied because ha ha ha, I thought my, my baby making days were done. Um, and uh, yeah, and everything was, was it was on, honestly, it was the perfect surrogacy journey. It's those ones that you hear you know, the glowing, glowing stories in the media, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, about six to eight weeks after the birth, I kind of had felt like I hit a brick wall though. Um, I was suddenly feeling very lost because when you're doing surrogacy, it's all consuming. It's not just taking up your body, it's taking up your time, your emotional energy, um, it's taking up, you know, it's not just taking up my time and emotional energy, it's taking up the time of my family, my husband and, you know, our, our little tight circle. So all of a sudden I wasn't pregnant anymore. I wasn't texting this couple five times a day to talk about the pregnancy and the upcoming birth. Um, they weren't very um, active on phone texting as it was, so I wasn't actually getting many texts at all from them after they had gone home. Um, and they lived about a, an hour and a half away, so it wasn't like I could just drop in and see them. So, yes, yeah, so I was feeling very lost, and I decided, well, I may as well do it again. <laughs> 
I don't know why. I, I think I just had this crazy moment where I was like, well, that was fun. Let's go again. So, I, um, Well, certainly my experience was very similar that I had, I gave birth to Darcy and I was like, let's do that again. But I said, yeah. surrogates do that. It's like the surrogate high, the, the high yep. of the baby. And they think, well, you know, why can't I do it again? And I think yeah. there's a risk that they're making decisions when they perhaps shouldn't be. But also, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's, lovely and positive that they had such a good time that they do want to replicate it rather than sort of falling in a heap. Yeah. So yeah. you're not, not alone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think it's, uh, it was probably very hormonal too, because, you know, you've still got that oxytocin high that you're still riding after you've given birth to this beautiful baby and you're actually getting a full night's sleep. <laughs> you're not <laughs> sleep deprived. You're feeling the love. So you're like, okay, that was fun. Let's go again. <laughs> Um, so I went on Bub Hub and oh, within three days I had met Michael and Jared who were a same-sex couple that actually lived like 15 minutes away from me. They had had two failed surrogacy journeys by that stage, one in the States, one in, in here in Australia. And when they met me, I think they thought all their dreams had come true because they had never met a surrogate before that had actually had a baby and handed it over. Um, and I was, you know, we were practically neighbors and, and yeah, they just thought that it was amazing. Um, so we just got along really well. So within, uh, I don't recommend this and I kind of cringe when I talk about it, but within a month we were cycling, um, because I'd had my tubes tied, we had to do a full egg pickup. Um, so we did, I'm the first to admit that I totally rushed into it. I did. And it's by sheer luck that it all turned out okay because I didn't know the, their true characters. How can you how can you know the true character of anyone within a month's time? So we cycled. We did we did a full egg pickup. Um, it ended up taking three full egg pickups to achieve a pregnancy. And um, on the third cycle, uh, we ended up with ten eggs and two embryos and the two embryos one was um right on 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 growth for a day five transfer the other one was about two days behind and not looking so great so instead of going through three full ivf pickups and discarding one i decided that we, why don't we just put two in why don't we just put them both in i just wanted to give it a chance and lo and behold we ended up getting pregnant with twins Wow. Which, which was, uh, a, you know, uh, being pregnant with one baby is hard. Being pregnant with two is almost horrendous. <laughs> um, and, not, and also because from the cycle I ended up with um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So I was quite unwell for the first 16 weeks or so because I was dealing with being overstimulated as well as morning sickness and being pregnant with twins. Wow. Um, the, pre the pregnancy with the twins essentially went pretty well. Um, I was just obviously extremely run down, un um, sick and, um, you know, just walking up a flight of stairs at 20 weeks was extremely tiring. Um, but at 27 weeks, even, you know, everything appeared well. But I woke up one morning and just started bleeding um, just out of the blue while I was putting the washing on. And um, I thought, oh, I'm just bleeding a little bit. So I um, put my 
the clothes that I had bled on into the washing machine, but then it was like pouring out. So I essentially had to go stand in the bathtub because I was making a huge mess. And while I was in the bathtub, I was ringing my husband. I was ringing um, Jared and Michael. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll ring the hospital that we're planning on delivering at. And they said, you really need to call an ambulance. So, you know, because probably should have called the ambulance first, but they were a bit low on the list. I, was, I think I was in a bit of shock. Um, so I was rushed to hospital. Uh, they were trying to figure out what was causing the bleeding. Um, they had uh, they had thought that my waters had broken, and now that I'm a midwife and I look back on it, I think yes, definitely my waters had broken. But they were just, it was essentially just heavily, heavily bloodstained amniotic fluid that I was losing, um, and um, when we got to the hospital and funnily enough, I was never worried about the babies. I, I thought the babies, I always had a feeling the babies were fine. I was more worried about how much blood I was losing and that sort of thing. Uh, we got to the hospital, they did a bedside scan and both the twins were fine. Um, there was just a little bit less fluid around um, twin two who ended up being Elijah. Um, and they, the doctors were sort of humming and hiring for the first 20 minutes um, over what should be done. Should I, should we just monitor the bleeding and see what happens? Of course, during this time, I was having a magnesium sulfate infusion for the baby, for neuroprotection for the babies, and I was having steroid injections and everything else. Um, and um, they, when they did an examination, um, it was they couldn't see anything because I was just losing so much blood. So the decision was made to deliver them then. So that they were 27 weeks and three days when they were born. And I think the most harrowing thing from that whole experience was when I was taken away in the ambulance, my husband had only just got home, but he didn't actually see me. So he got home to the ambulance driving away. And um, so all we were doing, he was, he stayed at home and waited for my mum to come from the coast to look after our youngest because the other two were at school and to be there for them um, when they got home from school. So it was probably about an hour and a half before he got to the hospital. And at that time, it was still all up in the air. All we knew was that I was bleeding and the babies were going to be born that day. And... Um, so when he walked into the room, he burst into tears and Jared was sitting beside me. One of the dads was sitting beside me. And it was probably the first time I'd seen him cry in about four years since his mother had passed away. That was the last time I'd seen him cry. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe he's crying. Like, what I have done this. I've, I've caused this much heartache for my husband and... And, it's, and it felt, I felt extremely selfish in that moment because I wanted to do surrogacy. He didn't want to do it. I, you know, I pushed him into it um, and he just wanted to keep me happy. And, and I had caused so much upset to him because he was certain I was going to die. Um, and, and it was all my fault. And um, so I think that was the moment where I, it was a very sobering moment when I realised that, I'm not the only one that's impacted by my choice to be a surrogate. Um, you know, if I had died, then my children would have been motherless, essentially. Um, and I'd be leaving my husband behind to be a single father. So uh, it was definitely a sobering moment. And even um, Jared had said later on after the fact that it, it, he felt the exact same way at that time when he saw Simon walk in the room. 
he said it, I, I realised at that moment exactly how much you guys put on the line to make us parents. So it was probably a moment that I needed to have because I think I had underappreciated Simon's support up until that moment. Um, so, um, yeah, the twins were born that day. They were born healthy. They spent 10, 10 weeks in the intensive care unit, the neonatal intensive care unit before they came home. And now they're six years old and happy little boys with no detriment to being born early. And what about you? How did you recover? Uh, the recovery actually was quite easy. The first cesarean I had was, um, was hard because I'd had only vaginal births before then. Um, but recovering from the twins was like a walk in the park compared to the first cesarean. I, d I don't know why um, some cesareans end up with longer recoveries than others because I've had four now and two of them have been quite hard to recover from, but the other two have been easy. I've been up and about walking within a day and hardly any pain. So, and in regards to the blood loss, I didn't have any, any problems. I mean, obviously I had a low blood count by the end of it, but I didn't need a blood transfusion or anything like that. So, um, and essentially looking back on it, I was so relieved the pregnancy was over because I was struggling so much by that point. It's so hard to be a mother to young children when you're pregnant with twins. I don't know how people do it, you know. Mm. Um, so the recovery from the twins was good and I was pretty sure at that point that was it for me. I wasn't going to do any more surrogacies. I felt quite fulfilled at, at that until I started studying midwifery <laughs> and then that, and that, and that got me a little bit, um, you know, you're studying the whole physiology, physio, physiology around pregnancy and childbirth and you're like, I want to do that again. <laughs> so, um, I blame, I blame my uh, Bachelor of Midwifery degree for the, what came next. Um, so it was, it was about two years after the twins were born where I, when I decided that I wanted to do again. And Simon was so not keen for me to be doing it again. And it was uh, a, essentially a six-month conversation to actually get him to, I won't say he agreed, but to get him... To get him on board, I suppose. Um, and it was even to the point where I felt like all of us, you know, uh, during those conversations over that time, it ended up becoming like a really driving need to do surrogacy again, because I, I had essentially talked myself into it. And I'd, I'd had all these arguments with him about why I should be doing it, why I should do it again. And mm. um, so it kind of became extremely important to me. And I think when he saw that, that's how I felt about it. He said, well, uh, okay, but this is it. This one more time and that's it. I won't support you on another one. And I ended up finding a same-sex couple, another same-sex couple here in Brisbane. And this time we were going to do gestational surrogacy because my days of egg pickups were done. I was never doing it again. Um, and so they had an egg donor. And I definitely didn't rush into it. We were, we were in talks for quite a while, but I probably ignored some, you know, some red flags, not necessarily for them because they were lovely guys, but for the relationship itself. I never felt completely comfortable with them. Um, you know, I always say to people when I look for intended parents, I look to find people that I would be friends with in real life because you're going to have this lifelong relationship in the end. 
Um, and I probably overlooked that because I had been looking for a little while for, for intended parents and I hadn't found anyone over about four months. And so I kind of just settled for this relationship, which was okay, but probably I probably shouldn't have gone ahead to start with because the connection wasn't quite there. So we did, we tried, we ended up having four transfers and we did get pregnant and, and at 11 weeks it, we discovered that we had a blighted ovum. So that's essentially you've got an embryo in there but no fetus has developed. So that was devastating for all of us. And they decided that they just didn't have any more money to invest into it at that point, which was fair enough because, you know, they ended up having gone through two egg donations, had really low yields at IVF pickup and, and I think they were emotionally and, and um, economically disadvantaged by that point. So, um, so they decided not to go ahead again. And I had mentioned to them at the time, well, you know, I, I still think I want to do it. So, cause I wanted them to be okay for me to look for other intended parents and they were totally okay with that. I mean, it wasn't something that I just jumped on the bus and went looking again. I waited probably another six months before I started looking again. And um, I was really torn because I had learnt from my that, sur that failed surrogacy that I deserved better, that I think I deserved my last surrogacy to be a really strong connection with the couple that I did it for. Um, I never really had any um, preferences over same sex or heterosexual. All I had in preference was I wanted to do gestational surrogacy and I wanted to absolutely love my intended parents. That was part one of my interview with Rachel. You should definitely listen to parts two and three. And if you need to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram and at sarahjefford.com. Feel free to leave some feedback at Apple Podcasts.